Hello, my name is Greg Hunter, and this is Comic Book Decalogue, recording from a Comics Journal satellite lab in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The interview you're about to hear involves 10 questions designed for a combination of modularity and comprehensiveness. The same 10 questions I'll pose to later guests as this podcast advances. Some people will point to the format here and say, that sounds frivolous. This could not be further from the truth. If one thing will define this project, it's a spirit of inquiry with all the rigor that implies. Do these questions work? And if so, how often? Do we have a solid 6 out of 10? These answers will come at the end of a long process. So thank you in advance for your listenership and for your trust. Josh Simmons is the guest for this inaugural episode. Josh is the cartoonist behind the wordless surreal graphic novel House, the horror comics collection, The Fray Trap, and Black River, a new release from Fantagraphics that takes his sensibilities all the way to the end times. Josh met with me before a stop on his book tour in support of Black River, and in the conversation that follows, we cover NBC's Hannibal, Profit by Brandon Graham and Company, and what happens when a young child opens up a copy of The Furry Trap. Question one. What's the first comic you remember reading? The first comic I remember reading would be maybe Fantastic Four in the 80s. Uh, I don't remember the artist on those or the writers. I know there was a, like a John Byrne era and a Simonson era. It was neither of them. I know mm. it wasn't either of them. But uh, I remember like, who was it? The Thing and Hulk having a big... F- battle just like the whole issue you mm-hmm. know um and wild dog was an early one too do you know that comic wild dog i want to say i think it's before my time but i've seen it as an internet meme it's the hockey mask yeah guy okay yeah yeah and he kills politicians i think <laughs> he shoots them so and it's pretty bloody i remember you mm-hmm. know people getting shot and just big bloody wounds opening up on their bodies and heads and it was kind of like fetishized the mm-hmm. violence, and I really uh, focused in on that, too. I liked it. <laughs> I think there were a lot of second-tier Punisher swords for a while, which yeah, he was like, like a Petri dish for that sort of totally. aestheticized... DC. It was, so it was DC. It was basically the Punisher crossed with Jason Voorhees, because mm-hmm. he had the hockey mask, and yeah, totally. Yeah, how that's did that not outlive the 80s? I know. I wonder if that's still going. I'm sure somebody must have tried reviving it at some mm-hmm. point. What's the... This is question two. What's the last comic you finished reading? I read about half of Copra Volume 2 recently. Mm-hmm. That was the last thing. Yep. And that's that's a super far out comic. It's yeah, that's maybe, you know, the best conceivable place for a an off-brand Wild Dog revival. Sure. If you think that. <laughs> Have Fife do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. get him on it. <laughs> and question three... What cartoonist doesn't get enough praise? Well, it it's in my head because I'm going to see him tomorrow and he's going to be doing the show with me, but I think Victor Cairo's kind of underrated. I think he's pretty great, but his stuff is hard to get into for a lot of reasons. It's kind of difficult to read the way it's drawn, and it's he's published really sporadically. He's never had like his own kind of big collection of stuff, which I think would be nice uh, for him to have at some point. Barring that, what would you say is the best 
the point of entry for a Victor Cairo reader? I guess Facebook. Someone was just telling me he's the king of Facebook, huh. and that's his best. <laughs> he's really funny on Facebook. Um, but otherwise, oh, well, Bittersweet Romance was published by, what's their name? Keenan Marshall, Keenan Marshall Keller, I believe, is the publisher of that one. I can't remember the name of the what the actual publishing house is, but Bittersweet Romance, yeah, I think they still have that. That's like a 24-page color comic. That's really great, yeah. What would you say, if you can sum it up, is the thing Victor Cairo does especially well? I think he's sort of struggling with a lot of his own... um, He sort of touches on a lot of the kind of sensitive or touchy topics that I also deal with to some degree. So he's kind of like, in a kind of facetious way, he's he's dealing with kind of sexism and racism and... um, it just feels really, really deeply personal and kind of obsessive. So, yeah, I think that kind of sums it up. And his art, his drawing is just incredible. It's like really wild mix of ink and markers, and it's very kind of like psychedelic and completely idiosyncratic. Yeah. Now, the inverse of that, question four, what's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with? Saga. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I've been checking out a lot of image stuff because anytime I ask people who are into comics what they like, they'll recommend, you know, Sex Criminals and Saga. Mm-hmm. And, and I like Profit a lot. I love that yes. comic. That's a very strange, uh, really inspiring comic. So I've dipped my toes in a lot of image stuff and I can't, I just really can't get into any of it. And Saga is probably the best example, which everyone says is like the greatest comic ever. But uh, I, I can't stand the way it's written. I can't stand the way it's drawn. It's, uh, yes, it's not a good comic. <laughs> what Brandon's doing feels closer to, like, the fanographics world to me. It's just very, it's not, it's very, um, you know, particular and, and feels very personal. Whereas a lot of the stuff that Image puts out just feels so, like, like it's like a pitch for a TV show or it's mm-hmm. like, it's too, um, you know, you've got like your cliffhanger at the end of every issue. That's just like too, I don't know. It's sort of pandering, I guess would be the word, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. I think this year on adaptability of profit is, is a strength in some mm-hmm. way. It's very comics. Although it'd be great if there was like uh, one of these HBO max, a series of mm-hmm. profit, you know, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> Question five. What's a change you'd like to see across the comics industry? It'd be nice, I suppose, if using profit again as an example, if like Marvel and DC were able to give... Not that I'm even that interested in superheroes at all, but, you know, it is. it would be paying work. Like if they were to give creators with a more singular vision... Um, you know, kind of free reign to do whatever they want because I feel like any excuse that they have not to let a creator just go nuts with one of their characters is ridiculous. It's like most people who read comics are middle-aged men, right? It's not really... We're not trying to protect the children. With Marvel and uh, and DC books, at least. Yeah, with Marvel and DC in particular. And, uh, you know, it's just so stale, like everything they put out that... um, if someone were to take, you know, 
some of those characters and do something similar to what you know Brandon Graham did with Prophet with this weird old Liefeld character. Um, maybe there could be some more interest, actually, like interesting work coming out of Marvel and DC, and then also people getting paid. But then again, like working for Marvel or DC isn't really my dream. My dream was always like just to do a book with or books with fanographics, and that's exactly where I am. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just somehow finding a way for more paid work in general to happen would be nice, but otherwise, I don't know. I'm seeing all the comics like that I want to see, you know, uh, one way or another, if it's someone just self-publishing a hundred copies of their comic that, which is the stuff that I like, it's going to come out. So, um, yeah. Question seven. What's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning? I was like halfway through drawing House in 2005, I think. And I, uh, yeah, that's when it really kind of hit me. I guess it was in my mid-20s how, again, coming back to the money thing, like how little money there is in comics and how, uh, you know, difficult that can be, especially as you get older. So I came really close to quitting about that time. And once maybe in my early 30s as well. But after that period, I kind of made peace with the whole, like, it's got to be a side thing. You can't expect to make a living off of it. And so I'm I'm happier than ever now, actually, that I'm doing comics. And I kind of came to terms with that, you know. You found a way to do it where you're able to take the time for a book door, evidently. Has that, <laughs> that in itself been... Like a sizable step. And these are sub questions for all the pedants out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this tour is actually. I'm. I'm finding that. Uh, well, I'm not great at like money and uh, uh, planning and business side of things. So I'm actually super broke on this tour. But mm-hmm. it wouldn't be comics if that wasn't the case. But. Um, yeah, I found a job in Seattle that is, like, basically I work in catering and it's part-time, but it pays really well, so it allows me time to write and draw when I'm at home in Seattle, and it's also the kind of job where I can take, like, a month or two off and do something like this, so it's kind of a dream job in a way, as far as, the, it's the best you could ask for aside from actually making money from comics and making a living from comics, so. Are you finding so far that the economics of a book tour is different than the economics of going to show like cake or, or line work, for example? Yeah, sure, because this is two months altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you go, yeah, like line work, that's a weekend. That's the cost of a tank of gas for me to drive down from Seattle, and then I stay with friends. So that's easy to do. And this is... Uh, yeah, I'm kind of just starting out on this tour, too, and the next two weeks are going to be the most intense part of it, where I'm doing ten dates in about less than two weeks. And so it's just going to be driving, 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 doing shows and doing stuff like this. So, um, I mean, the the my whole goal was this, was that in the past I've not been great at, like, the promotion side of mm-hmm. my comics, so I wanted to, with this book, like, go full-blown whole hog on that and so that meant just uh doing all the things that you're supposed to do to promote a book you know 
Okay, question seven. I identified the last question as question seven also. Uh, it will not happen again. What's the best advice you've heard about making comics? Uh, probably something like, you know, you have to do it for yourself. Don't pander to people. Just do what you want to see as a comic. And also, kind of related to what I was saying earlier, like you have to be grateful for if you have... 200 readers or 500 readers or a thousand readers that's great you know um and also yeah what i said earlier like don't count on making a living off it if you got that down then you're pretty good some question about audience i suppose in the work you do like maybe you're already sick of being asked about the batman comic or or the bat comic it would not surprise me um i know i know that's how i first heard about your work did you find, like, practically speaking, that, you know, if there weren't offers to do superhero work following that, you, did you get tired of hearing, you should really try to pitch X or Y? No, I didn't hear that much about it. I never heard anyone say I should pitch. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm open to that idea or possibility. I feel like I could write, I actually have an idea for another Batman strip, but I don't think they would ever let me do it. It's not that bad, but there's a little bit of scatology in it, so mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't fly. But to me, it feels like a pretty laid-back strip. Uh, but I feel like I could write something like The Punisher or Crossed almost in my sleep. Mm-hmm. But I'd be willing to try other things, too, just for kind of the challenge of it. Um, yeah, the threshold content-wise for properties like that is very interesting. You know, the number of dismemberments you see across the DC catalog in the course of a month. Sure. Uh, and then what they what they would never include in a strip. Yeah, that's TV and comics and movies, and that's kind of a very American thing, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. like, at, at my signing in Seattle, there was this seven-year-old boy who started looking through the furry trap in Black River. Uh-huh. I was like, no, you can't look at that, buddy. And he's like, why? And I said, because of sex and violence. And he said... Well, my dad says violence is okay, but any sex, I can't look at that. Mm-hmm. And he told me about this video game he plays where he's just, like, blowing people's heads off and stuff. And that's very, that's pretty typical, isn't it? You know? Or pathologize like, the natural stuff and yeah. naturalize the, the horrible stuff. It's, it's fetishized. Like, I watched Hannibal, that show recently. Oh, yeah. Two seasons of it. It's the most violent. It's like cannibal holocaust levels of violence. Like, you can see nurses getting their eyes gouged out, but you can't see naked breasts, you know, so... I was having the same conversation about Hannibal with a friend just the other day. The the amount to which the violence uh, and, and the viscera is aestheticized, that yeah. it's like almost to the point of abstraction. You can almost forget that what you're seeing is Hannibal, you know, preparing someone's liver. Right. Yeah, that's interesting, too. It's very... It's... Yeah... Um, I guess that makes it more palatable somehow. You know, it's not like a realistic depiction of, uh, you know, their, their idea of what a serial killer is. It's like, it's so absurd and it's so stylized that there are 12 of them in Baltimore, evidently. Right. Yeah. (laughs) At least I guess it's palatable to like a family of, you know, five or six can sit around the TV at night and watch it. Mm -hmm. Question eight. What's the worst decision you've made during your time as a cartoonist? Uh, <laughs> uh, and caveat, 
this question is intended to concern decisions related to cartooning, but you can answer it however you like. Mm. I mean, maybe getting into cartooning in general <laughs> to begin with. Um, worst decision. I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of them. Nothing springs to mind. Question nine. What do your parents think of your work? They, my dad, I, okay, I didn't send either of them the last book, The Furry Trap. Mm -hmm. um, that one's a little too much. Um, my mom, I think, I don't know, I think they're okay with it at this point. They were just really worried as far as the money end of things. Um, starting from when I was, started to get into it when I was younger. My mom said, like, once she described what I do as, you know, when you're making that bleak, depressing, really cool stuff. So that's kind of like a vote of confidence in a way, I guess. I think so. <laughs> it's kind of, I thought it was funny that she described it that way. Um, and my dad's, uh, I don't know, I'm probably going to give them a copy of the new book, but I'm going to warn them that it's pretty, you know, R-rated, X-rated, very dark. Mm -hmm. But um, I think, I think they're... Maybe proud on some level, but also don't quite get it. So, um, and they don't see the worst stuff. I never gave them a copy of All About Fucking when I was doing that back in the mm -hmm. day. So, yeah. Okay, last question, number 10. You've been assigned to write and illustrate Garfield, but you can alter one aspect of the strip. What do you change? Oh, Garfield... Mondays, lasagna, Jim, is that the name of the main character? Jim Arbuckle, I think. Jim Arbuckle. I can only alter one thing. You can only alter one thing. Um, I don't know. Jim. Did Jim have a girlfriend? I think he's forever looking for love. Okay. That's a good angle. Um, I want to say there are strips on a semi-regular basis where he's preparing for a date and Garfield says something to take the wind out of his sails. Right. Maybe he could bring, he could introduce a girlfriend or a wife and then see what kind of tension would come up between, you know, Jim's attention for the lady over Garfield mm -hmm. and, uh... I don't know. I'm just spitballing. I don't know. Uh, I can't think of anything. Hmm. I'd really need to like sit with it and meditate on it. Sure. To uh, give it the proper Simmons treatment. Well, yeah, I appreciate you honoring the integrity of that question. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah, like, tough. If a person had not seen the free trap, they could hear that and say, "This guy is, you know, a reasonable <laughs> steward." for our valuable syndicated comic strip. A reasonable steward. I'll take that. All right. I appreciate that.